What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm your host, Sean Smith, joined by my co-host, Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, we're back for another day. Back at it. Let's get to it. And let's go ahead and we'll stay with the basketball topic. We'll keep that trending from the last two days, Derek, but we are going to talk some football as well. But we've got to start at the top here. So the NCAA tournament is traditionally 68 teams with the first four in Dayton. There might be a first 200 for everything coming out today, Derek. So go ahead and I'll let you, you have that information pulled up in front of you. Every team in college basketball that's eligible for the NCAA tournament, this is being proposed. March Madness is about to be madness, like big time madness. Yeah. uh, Some, some controversy almost. uh, And I'll get to it with uh, a lot of this reporting that I've read is from Jeff Goodman of Stadium, but the main gist is that the ACC coaches proposed that every NCAA team that is eligible makes the 2021 NCAA tournament. So according to Goodman, that is 347 teams. So instead of 68 this year, you would have 347. Now, I believe the ACC angle on this is that these kids didn't get an opportunity last year. We owe it to them to give them that experience this year. Not everybody uh, is in favor of that. As a matter of fact, according to Goodman, he had – this is a tweet from Goodman. One mid-major athletic director to me on ACC's proposal to be – to include every team in the NCAA attorney, quote, it makes us all look like clowns, quote. So not everybody, Sean, is on board with this. And I want to get your take. 347 team NCAA tournament, you in or you out? I mean, it might as well get a little bit more insane than what 2020 has already been, which this will be 2021. But I'm one of these people, Derek, that I like the conference tournament. I I do. I like that week, those two weeks of basketball, because the last week of the regular season in the Power Five, you start getting those smaller mid-major conferences playing those games. And then occasionally you get one or two teams from that that ends up being an upset pick or a Sweet 16 team. I don't know. Like, there would be no conference tournament, right, if this happens, which John uh, Calipari would be a huge fan of, we should say. Like, if he, if you could skip the conference tournament, I think he'd be a fan. Yeah, I think the idea was that that's when the tournament would start, on the conference tournament weekend, and then a lot of teams would be cut down from there. Uh, also, I wanted to make a point that Goodman had said <laughs> that one of his installed sources had told him that the more likely scenario for this upcoming season would be that fewer teams would make the tournament. So you've got the ACC proposing that everybody gets in, and then you've got NCAA sources saying 32 teams will probably get in this season. There's no consensus in college basketball, and that's one thing that I think this pandemic has really shown and will probably lead to some changes long term. Is just that there's no – like no one's on the same page. 
everybody's kind of out for themselves. And just because, obviously, since the ACC proposes, it doesn't mean that this is what's going to happen. It's just an idea being thrown out there. I would have loved to have heard Calipari's take on this, though. I don't, I'm not seeing him tweet anything, but it's an interesting thing to talk about. And for this time of year, it's going to get a lot of play. It is. Because there's not a whole lot else going on. So my take on it, it seems – I don't know how you would set up 347 teams. I mean, it's – I think it's kind of nonsense, to be honest with you. You get some – I mean, that's like 68. I, I like it just because it's a fun tournament. But I'm with the people who say Cinderella's cool. 12 seed knocks out a uh, 4 seed or uh, a 5 seed. I mean, 12 seed takes out a 5 early, a 13 beats a 4, stuff like that. That's pretty fun. What I don't like is – and this is no offense to Lilla, Chicago. They had a hell of a run. You get to the Final Four, like, that game was not competitive against Michigan, if I remember right. I mean, George Mason, we saw it. These are cool, but, like, I'm of the camp, Sean. I want, like, a 2015-style Final Four. I want an undefeated Kentucky team in there facing a 35-1 Wisconsin team versus a 35-1 Duke team. And then I think you had Michigan State that year, who was kind of a team that got hot late. But you had three teams that legitimately, throughout the year, were some of college basketball's best teams. And if you do a 347-team tournament, maybe that will still happen, but it just seems like there will be a lot of pointless games and a ton of headaches to set something like that up. Yeah, it's going to be very complicated. And, two, every day it feels like we're seeing sources. A new bubble location has emerged. <laughs> and I told you off the record earlier that the next time that that comes out, I'm just going to tweet out sources. Outdoor court outside of Corbin is going to be a possible location for – for a preseason tournament. I mean, that's that's to the point that, we're, that we are right now. I think that we could just assume that every facility is a bubble scenario, a bubble situation. I, I don't know, Derek. Like, it's crazy. But then again, too, do you think that this everyone in the NCAA tournament, we still don't know what's going to happen with scheduling. You know, there's reports out there that they're looking at bubbling the Champions Classic and some of those other preseason tournaments and things. Uh, we've mentioned Asheville as a location in the past here. Uh, the Pentagon in South Dakota as a location. We don't really know who those teams are going to be, Derek. So does does a team – is it going to be hard to sort of – I guess when you look at at-large teams this year, is it going to be hard to pick those teams to make the NCAA tournament because their their resumes might not be what they would have been had they played their normal schedule? Yeah, I'm not even sure we can really discuss these things. Yeah, I mean, I like that they're trying to get some teams together. It sounds like the idea would be – you would get eight teams or so in there, and then everybody could play each other once. So you'd play, be able to play four games. And that's a cool thing, but what if that's the only non-conference games you're playing? And then you get to January, and then you start a conference slate. Like, it's cool that you get to play those games, but I don't know when it comes to seeding. I mean, I don't even know how you're going to do this. It sounds – and maybe the ACC has put out their, their plan. Uh, I haven't seen it in, in its entirety, but – I think the main goal right now seems to be getting a bubble situation set up to where teams can at least start the season there safely, play a few games. But I, I can't imagine you're going to have a full non-conference schedule. Maybe you'll be able to play a few teams here and there. I mean, I think this is the year that makes sense that you play Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, Moorhead State, uh, Northern Kentucky, any team really in the state or within driving distance that you can safely play i mean i don't think you need to be flying in teams from wherever to come in here does that make sense i mean i think that should be a, if you want to get games this year it seems like the easiest way to do it is to play the teams that can drive there in the day 
even drive back home if they need to. I know it's going to be different from how things are usually done, but that seems to me like the safest way to do things. I agree with that, especially for non-conference games. You probably the, the closer you can stay to home, and there's yeah. solid programs there. Western Kentucky. I mean, I know fans would love to see these matchups, but Derek, when when the season canceled and the NCAA tournament canceled in March, there were there weren't any options. Like they had no options, but now it seems like that there's a variety of options that's at least on the table. But speaking of variety of options, Derek, the Butcher's Pub, who sponsors Kentucky Daily. Today is Wing Wednesday, and they have two locations, one in Palmville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Wing Wednesday, I'll tell you, is my favorite day at the Butcher's Pub, and it's because they have a variety of different sauces, 75-cent wings. Derek, you got those sauces right there in front of you to read? Yep. You know, two locations, Sean, but 10 uh, flavors of sauces. You got garlic parmesan, island teriyaki, gourmet barbecue, zombie, mango habanero whiskey, Carolina mustard barbecue, buffalo, Orange Chipotle and Kickin' Cajun, along with two our domestics, all day. And, and zombie sauce, oh my goodness! I have to praise it one more time. While it's Wing Wednesday, as soon as I hit publish on this podcast, I'm heading to the Butcher's Pub in Palmville. I'm going to get me ten zombie wings, bone in with ranch dipping sauce, Derek, and it's going to be the best meal of my day. Well, I'm not going to try it yet, Sean, but I'll be looking forward to it. I'll be coming through the area soon, hoping. We can get some shows once times are a little more normal over at the Butcher's Pub. We'd love to get in there, have some fans come in, join us, maybe on Wednesday. Yeah, on Wing Wednesday. But if you want more information on the Butcher's Pub, you can visit thebutcherspub.com. You can find that info in the description of this podcast. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with some Kentucky football talk. You're listening to Kentucky Daily. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily. Uh, Derek, let's go ahead and jump into the football section of the show. So we had Eddie Grand Tuesday post game, and then we had Cavassier Smoke and Keaton Upshaw. What were some of your takeaways from what Coach Grand had to say? He did mention Demarcus Harris's name again, which is a name that is starting to pop up frequently now in interviews, Derek, at that wide receiver position. Yeah, Harris was a guy um, who I was told on Saturday – had looked really good, had about a 40-yard reception from Terry Wilson. He's been running with the ones, uh, at least he was on Saturday. I assume he has been throughout most of camp. So he's an interesting guy um, because he was well on his way to playing uh, more than four games last year. Um, obviously, I think he got injured at one point, and then by the time he was ready, uh, ready to come back, Lynn Bowden had already taken over at quarterback. So at that point, it made no sense to – uh, play a guy like that if he was maybe going to get one target a game. It just didn't make sense to burn a year. But, you know, Eddie did talk about him. Uh, to me, Sean, one of the biggest storylines I thought came out over the weekend was along that uh, big blue wall at left guard. Kenneth Horsey was out. Uh, I believe Stoops talked about that on his show. I, I don't. I think it might have been injury-related. I really can't remember. Either way, the bigger news, I thought, was that it was Austin Dotson the Eastern Kentucky native down from uh, Belfry High School who has been running with the first team. And if you look at the photos that UK sends out from practice yesterday, it looked like he was on the first team again. So this is a guy who a lot of people hadn't really talked about, myself included. I knew he was still around, but this is a guy who is in his fourth year, has not really played at all at Kentucky. He was now getting first team reps at left guard. And he was someone that Eddie praised yesterday. 
so that he had felt him throughout the camp uh, and throughout the scrimmage on Saturday. And um, it had seemed like it was more or less a done deal that Kenneth Horsey would be that left guard. But now with him missing a little bit of time, uh, those are the two guys that you'll see. I, I'm assuming both those guys will play at Auburn. But, you know, you talk about uh, an interesting move up the depth chart, Austin Dodson uh, making his way there. Yeah, it's good to see, especially a Kentucky kid, you know, getting his chance late in his career to, you know, to move into one of the most difficult positions on the roster to, to find playing time for, right? find snaps for. I mean, the offensive line's the most established position on this Kentucky football roster has been for years now. That I would say that and the running back spot are the two most established, I think, position groups. Would you agree with that? Maybe the hardest to break into to get snaps? Yeah, it's definitely on offense, those two. And then on defense, I think the secondary, the defensive line. I mean, they've not had to play a freshman defensive lineman uh, above the third team yet, which doesn't mean that the guys won't break through. But you have, at this point, on the defensive line, a legitimate three deep. And I would argue uh, that you have the same in the secondary. Yeah, very, very good uh, problem for Kentucky to have, to have a lot of guys available at those positions. Uh, Derek, too, staying on the offensive line topic. I mean, we've mentioned this with Terry Wilson coming back off of injury. When you have two tackles on the outside in Landon Young and now Darren Kennard, who is the highest-graded offensive lineman by PFF playing college football this fall, Derek, what a great situation for Terry Wilson, whoever that Kentucky quarterback is back there taking snaps this fall. Yeah, I don't think you could have picked two better tackles um, than Landon Young and Darren Kennard. Uh, he is ranked number one now because yeah, basically because the Pac-12 and the Big Ten aren't playing. I know uh, the kid at Oregon, I forget, his, I think his last name is Sewell. Op, well, he opted out, but at the same time, we know the Pac-12 is not playing, at least as of now. The, the season's canceled. I don't know what the Big Ten's going to do, Sean. It seems like they kind of want to play again, but they – I don't know what's going on. Ohio State's still practicing. I do know that. I saw that tweet yesterday. Justin Fields is out there. But basically, Kennard moved to number one once you took out some of those other guys. He had a grade, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure how – pro football focus rates these guys, how they give out grades, but he led the country at 89.2, so a really good grade there. Uh, and you've seen Lyndon Young and Drake Jackson on some of the other pro football focus lists. I mean, the offensive line as a whole has been um, really strong, and that and what we were just talking about, the left guard spot is only the really – it's the only question mark right now. You know Luke Fortner's going to hold it down at right guard, so it comes down to whoever wins the job there, and I trust that – the development, I don't know how you couldn't feel good about those guys uh, who are competing for that spot. Yeah, and Luke Fortner, you I mean you just keep adding names to that to that position group. Uh, the big blue wall, Derek, I mean, it's getting that they're getting the exposure that they deserve by guys on the SEC network. You're seeing when, when people talk about Kentucky football, it keeps coming back to John Schlarman's unit. And that's another thing, too, Derek. That man continues to go to work. He, you see him in the photo. He was in the team unity photo that they posted last week. I mean, the job that that man has done with that position group, it's incredible, isn't it? Phenomenal job. I mean, you, you just talk about the guys through the years at UK. And I started thinking about this earlier because I was thinking, man, you got Kennard as a number one offensive tackle. I'm fairly certain if the NFL draft is normal, seven rounds like usual, Lyndon Young is going to get picked somewhere in there. Drake, I'm not as sure about just because centers aren't as valued, and uh, I don't know how he projects the next level, but at the college level, he's a damn good player. And I was thinking, I mean, could this be one of the best offensive lines in school history? And then I thought, I mean, maybe we actually just saw potentially the best on school history last year. 
I mean, am I, am I crazy for thinking that? Because Young's going to be a draft pick. Canard could probably leave after this year. I think you can assume he's going to leave after this season. Probably a second or third rounder. Young, I think, somewhere in the middle rounds, unless he just blows up. And then Drake's going to be most likely an all-SEC-type player. And then last year you had a, a third-round pick, I believe, Logan Stenberg. Yeah. You got four guys probably who are going to play in the NFL. Has UK had an offensive line like that? Not that I can remember. And, you know, you mentioned how centers aren't valued as much in the NFL. I mean, you got a guy like John Toth, who was one of the best centers in Kentucky yeah. football, and he's not been able to break in consistently in the NFL. I know he, he was just waived. Uh, was it by the Browns yes. in the last few days? Uh, that doesn't mean that Drake doesn't have NFL potential. It's just about finding a spot and finding a situation for him. And, you know, knowing Drake's work ethic, he's going to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, but they're just looking at that group overall. Like, I think that that's why a lot of people favor Kentucky in that opening matchup at Auburn is because of the offensive line play. And early in the season where you have you didn't have the spring, you know what that line's going to be able to do. It's going to be able to protect Terry, and it's going to pave the way on the ground. No question. Um, even a guy like Dotson being able to break in there, I think it finally shows some trust for him that he's worked his way there. And he's had some injury problems too. But he was a guy at Belfry. Anybody's familiar with Belfry? I watched them beat my, my high school enough over the years. <laughs> Very run heavy down there. I think he had to make an adjustment to pretty much learn how to pass block and do some things like that. But I'll tell you another guy, Sean, and I'm not comparing Dotson to this guy, but – you didn't see a whole lot of Bunchy Stallings until his fourth year either. And Bunchy became one of the top offensive linemen in the country by the time that he left UK. I think he had played a little bit at guard his sophomore redshirt season. UK was playing so many guys in 2016 along that line. And then come uh, 2017, he was starting at guard and became by senior year. I mean, it was a two-star recruit. I think Dodson was, was barely a three-star. He was not a highly rated kid. But Schlarman has shown that he can develop and – when I was talking about potentially the best line in school history, it just occurred to me that I think UK's only had two offensive linemen drafted, Larry Warford and Logan Stenberg, I think maybe this whole century. If there's one more guy, I'm forgetting him. But that that's to me, is a major change. And that that's a really good – like you can have great college players who maybe for whatever reason don't pan out in the NFL. I'm not saying – I mean, that, that definitely happens. I would consider Garrett Johnson at Kentucky a borderline great college player, especially for UK. I mean, a very, very good player statistically his name's among the best yeah. at that position and to Derek at a time at Kentucky where they didn't throw the ball a ton right. like his last couple of years they found Benny Snell in the running game I mean that's there's there have been really good players come through this program that they haven't had their opportunity in the NFL or just didn't translate that are some of the best players to ever put on a Kentucky jersey and Derek I feel like when you look at this Kentucky roster there's a lot of names out there right now that we probably aren't talking about that I think by week 2 or week 3 there will be at least one or two names that we're talking about on this show weekly that will emerge in those first couple of weeks and Derek that's probably I know too with the Big 10 the ACC and some other or, sorry Big 10 Pac 12 the ACC will kill me for saying that, not playing football. But for those conferences not playing football, it's changed the way these power rankings work. But after week one's power rankings, Chris Lowe of ESPN, he has Kentucky at 17 without playing a game. That is ahead of UCF at 18, Memphis at 19, Appalachian State at 20, Baylor 21, Louisville 22, Florida State 23, Kansas State 24, and Miami at 25. And ahead of Kentucky, a spot ahead, is TCU at 16, North Carolina 15, Tennessee 14. So I'll just ask you this. We don't really know yet 
because we haven't seen any football. But do you think that that's a fair spot for Kentucky to be, given the circumstances and situation around college football right now? Yeah, I think so. I think that sounds pretty good. Um, they're ahead of some pretty good group of five schools. I feel like UK would – I mean, listen, UCF's beaten Power Fives, uh, Memphis – beat Ole Miss last season. So, I mean, those are teams that have beaten SEC-type teams. But I don't know. I, I think preseason without really seeing much, 17 is pretty good. Uh, I don't know where Chris would have had them in a normal year. Uh, but regardless, you're getting to the point now. I mean, we're so close to game time now. We're less than three weeks away. I mean, they play in 17 days. So almost two weeks away from that game. If they beat Auburn, you'll have a pretty good feel of kind of where things are. But – one thing we didn't talk about, Sean, I don't know if you got a chance over the weekend to watch any of those college football games. Did you get a chance to watch any of them? I watched a few minutes of uh, the Memphis game Saturday night. What did you think about the environment? You know, not many fans there. It wasn't as awkward as what I thought it would be. I thought that – I really thought that it was going to be awkward when you look around the stadium. And, I, you know, I have a friend that writes on the Memphis beat, and I was asking him and checking in with him about it and everything, and he said it was just good to have football back. But there were a lot of people, Derek, that chose not to go that had tickets, that had tickets on the front row. When I looked at that picture of that stadium, it, it wasn't – I mean, sure, it was weird to not see it full because last year Memphis had that place full because they were a good football team. But it was good just to see football back on the TV. I thought the sounds around the game, I thought everything seemed the same as it had been in the past. I mean, sure – We'll get to see how it is with Kentucky-Auburn in a couple of weeks, but I, I think that it's not as weird to me as I thought it was the months leading up to it. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And just the camera angles in football anyway, you really only see the field. I mean, they have to pan out or whatever after a score. You know, the camera will pan out and you can get some crowd reaction. But as far as the actual game went itself, yeah. I mean, I thought I didn't think it was very weird. And I've been in that camp, though, that if the sacrifice this year is that a very few – number of fans to go to the game. I, I felt like most people would take that. Uh, granted, I don't have a uh, monetary – you know, I've not put money into the program. If you're someone who has paid for season tickets, I can understand why you would certainly care about that more. But it just is a kind of a sacrifice this year that makes a lot of sense to me if, if you can still have football. And come September 26th, whenever you have Kentucky down at Auburn, and I believe they were one of the schools at 20%. Um, yeah. LSU did 25 today. Okay. I, I did so see that when I checked on Saturday, every school so far that has sent out a proposal, and that's something we didn't talk about either. UK is likely going 20% in the, in the, yeah. for the suites. And that would be – I was told from a source that that will be only season ticket holders, that there won't be any single-game tickets as of right now, and that I was told to no tailgating, that they're moving towards towards that. Uh, Derek, let's just get an initial reaction from you. I know we've talked about this. 20% in the stadium outside, 50% in the suites. I know it's a really big topic of conversation over the weekend and into Monday, and I, I understand. I get it. But when you look at those numbers, I think people are getting caught up in 50% being a bigger number than 20. There's going to be a significant higher amount of people outside than there are going to be inside the booths or the, the suites. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, when you talk about narratives, like, I guess the number doesn't help for the people who believe that Kentucky caters more towards the people with more money. I would say that that's kind of life. I mean, that's just how it works. I mean, money kind of equals access. I'm not saying it's right. It's just the way the, the way of the world. 
20% for the outside, for the people in the stadium, that always seemed like it was for sure going to be the number. There was going to be no situation where Louisville had more or less than Kentucky. I thought for every in-state school, they would all be on the same page. And what does that equal out to be? Is it like 12,000, somewhere around there, I think was the number? Yeah, I think uh, what's, what's the whole – I think 12,005 stands out to me. I don't know why that number stands out. Isn't it 61,000 somewhere around the – Yeah, they've done the, the same reduction. So, yeah, that's probably about but, right. But it feels like, Derek, there, there are things with the common fan and then you have the, the, the fan that donates a lot of money to the program annually. There are differences there. And I was a common fan. I was the common fan. I sat in section 142 at Old Commonwealth Stadium a lot, and that was great for me. I never had – I mean, people that go sit in the booth, that's great. I always wanted to be out there in the atmosphere, and I think people have their differences. But I understand where fans come from with being upset, but at the same time, I feel like now's the time that you want to lean on those donors and you want to lean on those boosters. That way you don't have to cut jobs around UK athletics. And so far, Derek, it seems like that – UK Athletics has sort of been able to survive that to this point. The one thing that I agree with a little silly is the alcohol issue. To only give it to certain people. I, I totally am on board with the common fan there and saying that right. it's ridiculous that they can drink it in there, but all of a sudden it's not safe for us to drink it out here. Like I totally get that. In this scenario, though, I guess what I'm trying to get at is – you know, one, it's a fewer amount of people anyway who are going to be – I think it wasn't like no more than 12 allowed in – or no more than 10. It was a very small number of people who were Somebody – yeah, someone told me that most of those suites seat 16 people. So now you're talking eight people in there with a seat in between. I know I know someone that has a, has a suite every game, and I think in his suite there was 16. But then I was told there's a single, a double, and a triple. So I'm assuming there – isn't there a Joe Craft – Sweet too that's there yeah, that sure. that's a huge one, and then two, uh, Derek, we we know people that have on the ones in the end zone there, and mm-hmm. I think those might be a little smaller than the ones on the press box side. I'm not sure on that. Uh, all I know too, the press box, Derek, it's 50 percent capacity with us. Yeah, and I'll and I'll ask you this. Uh, I'm sure you've read the email. We haven't checked. I'll, I'll ask you if you haven't. I'm going to make you aware of it. But I woke up this morning, Derek. With credential applications, like I got to apply for credentials today for the first time since March. I felt normal today when I woke up. That's the first time that I think that this really felt like, okay, this is happening. Yeah, I did read the email. Um, so even for the media, it's going to be cut down this year. And they're not they're not doing any – typically the way it works, and this is very like inside media stuff, but like if you were someone who like – for us, it's our job, so of course we would have season credentials. Some people only come to a few games, so they would get single game. For this year, everybody is getting single game, and there's only going to be five home games anyway. And so I guess that'll vary to how it goes. But you know, going back to the whole stadium thing, like if if you're someone where, where I get confused on this stuff is like if you're someone who donates, let's just throw out a number, sixty thousand dollars to Kentucky. Versus someone who only pays their K-Fund thing and only gets season tickets, which is still a help. Don't get me wrong. I mean, UK would gladly take that. But, like, in what world, though, do you think it would be right that both of those people got the same thing? I mean, it's just the way of – that's just how America is. I mean, you pay more money, you're going to get more benefits from doing so. That's probably how it should be. I don't understand. This almost seems like one to me that was – and I know Matt Jones has been – he was tweeting about it. Kyle Tucker, some other people were tweeting about it Saturday – 
I was doing derby stuff that day. I wasn't following it super close. But the thing to me, like, I don't know. I think a lot of that was already just narrative-driven. But UK doesn't care about the common fan. They want to cater more towards the people with more money. That's just how things are. Some of that, I think, is is real – Something like this. I'm not sure what the alternative was. If you're if you're talking about a place already inside of the max of 16, and it's going to be eight, I don't understand what the outrage about that is. No, and in fairness to UK, they haven't released anything yet. That's so true. They, yeah. they haven't not made that. their decision. This is all just uh, hearsay that, and you know, from sources. And I guess too, just assuming that they're going to follow things that are similar to the other SEC schools. And Derek, some of the things that happen. It really might not even be a UK decision. It might just be a collective SEC decision with some of the numbers and with tailgating and things like that. But right now, I think once that we get that first game out of the way and the ball's kicked off, and I know people, some people are going to be upset that they're not going to be in attendance for Ole Miss or Mississippi State. I think once we get flowing, I think it's it's beginning to, I guess, the healing process that we're finally getting something that we enjoy and the fans are getting something they enjoy in Kentucky football, Derek, that if everything goes as planned, this could be a magical season for this team. If if it falls in line and they get that first one at Auburn, and they've set themselves up uh, for a good year. So, Derek, I'm just, I think just getting football on the tube from the SEC is going to be a big deal for a lot of people, even the people that right now might be a little bit upset that they're not, it's not going to be their normal year where they go tailgate or go and have an all-day event at Kroger Field. I, I still think that, I would rather have this than not have any of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think tailgating, like you were saying, I don't think that's going to be anywhere. Even LSU has said, you know, not this year. I mean, the whole idea is you just want to be able to play. And, uh, I mean, we've seen some schools are struggling right now just to get through fall camp. Tennessee on Saturday had 44 players out. And not all of that was because of active COVID cases. Uh, Some of that was just due to contact tracing there's going to be a problem. So I think there are already going to be so many kind of challenges facing teams this year that that's going to be, to me, that's the bigger storyline versus how many people can come. Are you, are you going to be allowed to tailgate things like this? Like if those, if they don't get that under control, you're not going to have games anyway. So Kentucky's done a pretty good job. Uh, I believe Justin Rowland at rivals had a report that there were some COVID cases Obviously, you're not going to get names out of that. Uh, no one's asking for names. But just what you have to kind of avoid is just having position groups get decimated. And for Tennessee, I believe 30 of those 44 that were out on Saturday were all on the offensive side of the ball. That's two weeks that they've had guys out. So this early season is going to be a struggle. I mean, Tennessee's talking about not even being able to really practice the full amount of times so that they're allowed to practice. So, And two, let's Kentucky plays them early in the season, Derek. This might be an advantage that Kentucky gets where you get a team that's not really prepared to do very well at the beginning of the year. I mean, that's that's what COVID presents in this season, is it could happen to you at the beginning, it could happen to you in the middle, it could happen to you at the end. I think the only thing that we can hope, Derek, is that numbers sort of stay manageable to where if there is a situation, you isolate who you need to isolate. And I think the situation at Tennessee was mostly their offense from everything that I've read, which is the scary part about it. If you have all these people grouped together, you're probably looking at losing almost yeah. that entire side of the ball. I think that's where Kentucky, they've done a very good job managing this, that maybe they're keeping some guys away from one another. I think the only time, Derek, that your wide receivers, offensive linemen, quarterbacks, running backs should be together is if they're on the field. 
That's that's my thinking. Unless there's a meeting in a huge room somewhere where you can keep keep people apart, you've got to do that just in case there is a case. And as we're saying this, Max Duffy has been named to ESPN's preseason All-American team. That UK just sent out that email. So another honor for Max Duffy, Derek, a guy that we don't probably don't talk about enough on this podcast, who is a a weapon for Kentucky football, especially in a season like this. Yeah, with a defense like that. Yeah. With a defense like that, that's where Max becomes an even bigger weapon, in my opinion. Yeah, in terms of complimentary football, I mean, uh, a great guy to have. One of my favorite things, and I don't know, I, I love a good punter battle. I really do. I love seeing a great punt. It gets me fired up in football. I, people have different things that get them excited. I, I love seeing a deep boom 170 yards and roll it inside the 10. Max uh, absolutely deserves it. I don't know how you couldn't put the Ray Guy Award winner as a first-team All-American when he comes back. It would have been kind of crazy to put anybody else there. Um, probably going to be tough for him to repeat. That's why it's very difficult to repeat uh, awards. He would have to be far and away the best because it's more likely that that would go to somebody else. But no, he is a huge weapon to have on this year's team. I mean, as long as the offense can be in a spot where you're out around midfield, even if you don't pick up a first down and you're at a spot where you have to punt, to be able to have a guy who can be a special teams weapon and pin teams deep, I mean, it just helps your whole football team. The field position battle, it's one of those things that if you ever read the game story, you're not going to read a whole lot about a, a field position battle. But in a game, it is so important. And to have a defense that can keep uh, – Start off when you have opponents inside their own 10. Uh, I mean, that's that's huge. And we've seen before years where UK didn't have such good punters uh, that it can, be a, it can be a struggle sometimes. Whenever you're in a spot where you can start a team inside their own five versus at their own 20, it can play a role. Yeah. And Max will be a guy, Derek, we've talked about possibly having him on this show at some point. So that'll be a guy that some point this season we'll look at getting Max on here for an interview we are currently trying to schedule an interview with Vince Merrill. We're just working to see with UK on a day for that. So that is something to look forward. Maybe this week could be next week, but we are working on that, getting a football interview. Uh, Derek, we wanted to cover a lot of Kentucky football today because it had been heavy basketball Monday, Tuesday. Uh, another good episode. Thank you all so much for listening to Kentucky Daily. Get out to the Butcher's Pub today for 75-cent wing Wednesday. We'll see you on Thursday. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.